Thank you, Christella and Johanna, for reading today's scripture passage. We are now 10 months into this pandemic. Some have had to navigate health and financial crises. All of us at some level have had to face mental, emotional, and relational strain. We feel isolated from family and friends. Many feel as if God is distant as well. Does his light still shine in the shadows of our lives? Four years ago, in December of 2016, my youngest daughter, Alyssa, had just co-signed a lease to a home in New Westminster. And my wife, Judy, and I had just been handed the keys to our condo in the same city. We believed that God had given us a city to dwell in. After a few lattes at Starbucks, my wife drove Alyssa back to her new residence. She had just moved from Montreal. Even though some things remained uncertain for her, she was excited about the new opportunity before her. As she stepped out of the car, her heart sank. Her purse was missing. Her purse held every single valuable document she possessed. Her passport, Canadian citizenship card, driver's license, SIN card, credit and debit cards, a recently acquired criminal record check, her newly signed lease document, and every other document required to function as a human being, not to mention her home, bike, and work keys. Frantically, she quickly phoned Starbucks The barista delivered the news that a woman had just walked in and picked up her bag. He had not realized at the time that it was not hers and apologized profusely. So rather hopelessly, Alyssa dialed a non-emergency line. She hung up with nothing but a file number to cling onto. Judy and Alyssa stumbled into the living room of our condo. Mom. Can we pray? I don't know what to do. Alyssa asked for a miracle, praying for the woman who stole her things, that she would have a change of heart. That was her request, a change of heart. Not 10 minutes later, the New Westminster police was calling her. We've been able to locate some things that seem to belong to you. Cards, documents, and a passport. Can you describe to me in detail what you lost today? Seems like we have everything except the actual bag and keys. Four days later, Judy strolled down 6th Street, looking for any sign of the things Alyssa had not yet recovered. Randomly, she walked into a store and asked the teller if anyone had reported a lost purse. Sorry, I can't say I've seen anything, the teller responded. Only one lady was shopping in the store, and she overheard their dialogue. Ma'am, is the purse you lost brown with keys inside, some crayons, and a couple decks of cards? Perplexed Judy exclaimed, that sounds like my daughter's. Later, Alyssa chatted on the phone with the woman who had miraculously crossed paths with her mother. Merry Christmas, the woman said. God bless you. And honey, believe in the power of prayer. The woman had returned the purse to Judy with tears in her eyes. 
That's God caring for my daughter. Letting her know that he sees her and hears her prayers. Not only had her belongings been returned, but a woman's heart had also been changed. And you might say, well, that's a nice Christmas story. Maybe it could become a movie. Miracle on 6th Street has a nice ring to it. Does God's light shine on everyone? In our passage today, John, the disciple of Jesus, says this, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. John's first century world longed for true, genuine light, something authentic and real. Our world longs for the same thing. We're tired of being manipulated in relationships. We're tired of being played by the powers that be. We're not sure who we can trust. Can we trust news networks, government leaders, religious leaders, family, relatives? For the Greeks of Jesus' time, enlightenment was the, was the revelation of truth. For the Hebrews, enlightenment was the, the righteous character of God put on display. For John, Jesus is the perfect light. He reveals God's character, his truth. John says this light enlightens everyone. Another translation is, which gives light to every man. In John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus came into the world of human affairs, human frailty, human brokenness, and human pain. Jesus sheds light on everyone. That's the message of Christmas. God shines his light on every person. Light, it feels good. It's comforting but also somewhat nebulous and impersonal. It begs the human question, if God exists, can we know him? There's a mountain in China, in a particularly remote and inhospitable region of the Tibetan Himalayas, Mount Kailash. It is 6,638 meters high, almost 22,000 feet. Four religions consider it to be a sacred place. For Hindus, Lord Shiva, the destroyer of ignorance and illusion, resides at the summit. The mountain symbolizes his power. For Jains, it is where their first leader attained nirvana, enlightenment. For Buddhists, it is the home of the Buddha who represents supreme bliss. And for adherents of Bon, a Tibetan religion, the entire mystical region is the seat of all spiritual power. The summit is the residence of a god or the seat of spiritual power or a place of enlightenment. Every year, thousands make the pilgrimage to Kalish, following a tradition going back thousands of years. They believe that going around Mount Kalish on foot, 52 kilometers, is a holy ritual that will bring good fortune. And here's the interesting thing. Mount Kalish has never been climbed. All four religions consider setting foot on the mountain to be a grave sin. And out of respect for the four religious groups, the Chinese government has prohibited the climbing of the mountain. For the adherents of those four religions, a god who represents enlightenment, supreme bliss, or spiritual power resides at the summit. But no one can go up there. Throughout history, 
people groups around the world have imagined God to inhabit another world, the heavens, or maybe a high mountain. World religions often portray a God or gods who remain distant and should not relate closely with human beings. Many in our Western society would consider themselves to be agnostics. They believe a God or an ultimate cause exists, but he is unknown and unknowable to humans like us. Can God be known? And if he can be known, how does he reveal himself? John, the disciple of Jesus, proclaims in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Why does John refer to God as the word? For the Greeks, the logos, the word was the organizing principle or the divine reason that ordered the world and gave meaning to life and guided the changes that occurred. The Hebrews also had their understanding of the word. For them, the word had to do with God's powerful self-revelation, either in creation or in redemption. It was the revelation of who he was. John writes, and the word became flesh. For the ancient world, this was astounding. The word who was God and is God, the creator of all things, the one without beginning and end, became a human? And when he became a human, he did not come in a tornado or a firestorm, but, became, but came as a, as a fetus, a child, unable to do more than lie and wriggle and make noises. Nothing in fiction comes close to God becoming human. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. God came on the human scene and emptied himself. What could this mean? J.I. Packer, a British theologian, writes that it meant a voluntary restraint of power, an acceptance of hardship, isolation, ill-treatment, malice, and misunderstanding. Finally, a death that involves such agony, spiritual even more than physical, that his mind nearly broke under the prospect of it. It meant love to the uttermost for unlovely men. End of quote. God's word to humanity was God himself. God became a human. Shocking. Jesus, fully God, fully human, and he dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson paraphrases, he moved into the neighborhood. God moved into our human neighborhood and made himself known. Maybe you remember an experience where you heard that a new person or family was moving into your cul-de-sac or condo. Everyone was curious. Who's moving in? What do they look like? Do they have children? Are they noisy? Are they messy? And then they move in. And suddenly you go from imagination and speculation to reality. Jesus' birth immediately moves us beyond the purely intellectual, the speculative, and the mystical to the concrete. 
It moves us away from the image of a distant God on a high mountain, inaccessible to a person. John continues in verse 14, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John is saying, we saw the character of God on the stage of human history. We watched the scenes of his life, contemplated the plot lines, identified with his victories and his struggles. We, we witnessed the manifestation of God's presence, radiance, power. Glory as of the only son from the father. The word only means one of a kind, unique, beloved son. Jesus was not a son of God in the sense of being created or born. Jesus was the special object of the father's love. And as the son of God, he is exactly like his father, full of grace and truth. We might have some love or we might express some truth, but none of us are always full of grace toward others, nor are we constantly true. Jesus is always full of grace and truth, true from start to finish. What does God look like? John writes, this is in verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Made known means has explained him or has told the story. Jesus has interpreted God for us. He has explained God for us. Here's an example. Later in John chapter 4, Jesus and the disciples are in Samaria. They're on their way to Galilee. They stop in a town called Sychar to get something to eat. While the disciples go into town, Jesus sits at the village well. And a Samaritan woman comes at midday to draw water, maybe because of shame. She's been married five times and is living with a sixth. Jesus, the one who has moved into the human neighborhood, asks her for a drink. A Jewish man asking a Samaritan woman for a drink, breaking all the cultural conventions. Jesus engages her in conversation. She tries to divert his attention by talking about ancestors and places for religious worship, the mountain outside Sychar, or the mount in Jerusalem. Jesus graciously exposes her need for living water. He tells her that her religious path will not provide what her heart so longs for, and he presents himself. 100% grace and 100% truth. Jesus, the true light shining on a Samaritan woman, married five times and living with a sixth. He can satisfy the thirst of her soul. He is the way, the truth, and the life for her. God's ultimate revelation of himself does not take the form of arguments or assertions of divine reason overpowering human intellect, but rather the form of a person. Jesus was the full unveiling of God's truth. He is the ultimate self-disclosure of God, God with us. In other words, if you want to know who God is, if you really want to understand what he is all about, see how he acts and what he values, if you want to know God, look at Jesus. God revealed his heart through Jesus. God is personal. You may ask, 
Would God want relationship with me? Would he reach out to me? Maybe I'm too isolated. If God is there, does he really care? Is his love tangible? Here's a story from northern China. Gladys Aylward lived in northern China during the first half of the 20th century. On one occasion, she traveled into an unknown region to her with a Dr. Huang, with the intent of sharing the, the good news of Jesus. After 10 days' journey, they came to a, a desolate region with no village in sight. Dr. Huang prayed for God to show them the people they were sent to tell about Jesus. He knew they had traveled for a purpose. After singing for a while, Dr. Huang jumped up. There's our man. He ran up the hillside to greet the man, a lama, a Buddhist monk. Then he returned to Gladys and half carried, half pushed her up the hillside. Did you tell him I'm a woman? She queried. Gladys knew that lamas followed a strict regimen prohibiting them from having anything to do with women. Yes, but he invited you to come to spend the night in the monastery, Dr. Huang answered. The lamas were Buddhists who followed the path of the one believed to be the enlightened one. Gladys wondered, why would lamas invite me into their sacred buildings? At the top of the hillside stood the monastery, imposing, stately. Their strenuous climb had left them weary, but they were escorted to a large courtyard where about 500 lamas sat on padded cushions. After singing some songs and sharing the story of Jesus, they went to their rooms, hoping to get some rest. As Gladys started to go to bed, she was disturbed by a knock on the door. Two lamas stood outside. Woman, are you too tired to tell us more? They humbly asked. They entered, listened intently, and then went away. A few minutes later, two more came, and so it went through the night. They all asked the same question. Will you explain how and why Jesus died? Will you explain how it is he could love me? They were obsessed with God's love, the sending of Jesus, Jesus identifying with us. The next morning, Gladys discovered the same thing had happened with Dr. Huang throughout the night. They decided to stay for a week. On their last evening, Gladys received a summons to go before the head lama, whom they had not seen thus far. They politely discussed various things, and then Gladys asked, Why did you let me, a foreign woman, come into your monastery? Why did you allow me to speak to your lamas? It's a long story, he replied. Eight years ago, the lamas who had taken the herb harvest down on the mules were passing through a village when they saw a man waving a paper. The head lama directed her to a paper, now worn and in pieces, stuck on the wall. It simply quoted a verse from the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The true light was shining on them. The head lama continued, The next year, 
When our men took the herb harvest down to the cities, they were told to find out where the God who loved lived. But for five years, they could learn nothing more. Every lama read it and reread it. Then the man who had first received the tract vowed he would not come back until he learned more about this God. They went on and on until they came to Lanzhou. At the China Inland Mission Station, they found the four Gospels. The head lama continued, We read the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We believed all that it contained, though there was much we could not understand. But one verse seemed of special importance. Christ had said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So obviously, one day, a witness would come to tell us more about this wonderful God. All we had to do was wait. And when God sent a messenger to be ready to receive him. For another three years, we waited. The two, then two lamas, out on the hillside gathering sticks, heard some singing. While one came back to tell us to prepare for the long-expected guests, the other went down to meet you on the hillside. Gladys wrote in her memoir, I preached the good news of Jesus in this place that God appointed. I left the rest to him and the work of the Holy Spirit. No monastery stands on that beautiful hillside now. It was destroyed during the Cultural Revolution. What happened to those 500 lamas? God knows. Gladys believes many became followers of Jesus. For God so loved the world. God hearing the prayers of Buddhist monks. God the Father loving the world so much he gave his only son, his one-of-a-kind, unique son, who revealed his heart for all people, his heart of compassion and mercy, his desire for all people to come to know him. God shines his light on everyone. Jesus coming to earth is the most profound statement of God's love. He's not content to be a concept or just someone you know from a distance. Do you believe the Father sees you, knows your name, and loves you? I experienced God's personal care a few weeks ago. My second daughter was giving birth to our first grandchild in Montreal. Due to uh, COVID-19 restrictions, the red alert in Montreal, and the ban on non-essential travel, Judy and I were praying and and cheering from 5,000 kilometers away. We had heard around 10 a.m. that she was going into labor, but for seven hours we had not received further word. Around 5 p.m. B.C. time, I went off by myself and I I prayed, God, this is father to father now. I know you love my daughter. You have given this child life. I cannot be there, but you are there. I am asking you for a safe delivery now. I sensed God's tangible presence with me. A few hours later, our son-in-law messaged us. Mother and baby are fine. When was the baby born, I asked. 8.04 p.m. Montreal time. Hmm. 5.04 B.C. time. Our Father in heaven hears our prayers. He really loves us. 
Often in the darkest of times, we have our most intimate experiences with him. Is this personal relationship for anyone? Let's go back to the words of John. John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The world was created through Jesus, yet the world did not know him. How is this possible? To know means more than intellectual recognition. It means to be in relationship with. Jesus came to the human world that he had created. All of humanity owed its existence to him. But the world was not in relationship with him. And here is the epic irony. Despite convincing proofs of his divine identity, despite a multitude of witnesses, many Jews of his day rejected him. Why did this happen? Well, they had their expectations. They desired a political savior who would deliver them from the Romans. They had their way of seeing the world. They had other beliefs, other thoughts, and other values. And their hearts were hard. But, writes John, and here is the grace of God. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The invitation is extended to all, to all of us who welcome Jesus into our lives, to all who believe in him. To believe in implies trusting in and being committed to a person. We only follow those we trust. To trust in his name is to believe in all that he is and all that is true about him. When we believe in his name, John writes, we become children of God. We become God's own people, family. We are not by nature children of God just because we're human. We are not children of God by heritage, religion, and race, not even the Jewish race. We are not born by the will of the flesh. That is, we are not spiritually reborn because of parental passion, but We are born of God when a supernatural work happens in our hearts. It's an act of God. We are spiritually reborn when we trust in Jesus. God does what no human effort could accomplish. The reborn child can now cry, Father. So know that God invites all people to become family. My grandson is is full of life. Deeply loved by his parents, loved by his grandparents, loved by his uncles and aunts. But he's not aware of how much he is loved. And he certainly is not aware of God's light shining on him. One day, he will have an opportunity to respond to that love. When my daughter left the hospital with her son, she broke down. She sobbed. She was overwhelmed. What kind of world had her son been born into? So I quickly texted her. This may sound trite, honey, but it is true. The God who has been there for us in our journeys around this complex, uncertain world will be there for Leon Samuel. That's his name. At every point in his journey, rest in his goodness. 
Leon is not a child of God because he is human. God gives each one of us the freedom to choose. But God's light is shining on him and will continue to shine on him. Come what may. As John wrote, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus becoming human is the universe-shaking, history-altering, worldview-shattering, life-transforming event of history. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, may the light of Jesus shine brightly in your heart as you continue to contemplate the meaning of this event for your lives today. During this unusual Christmas season, know you are loved. For those who are not followers of Jesus, know he invites you to trust in him. The statement that Jesus has become one of us out of love creates a crisis of decision for each one of us. Will we receive his love and follow him or will we walk away and go our own way? Do we want conversation with him, to learn from him, to to receive his comfort? God made himself known, his love. And through faith, you can know this love. This is the message of Christmas. Jesus knew you could never climb up the mountain of spirituality to reach him on your own. So he has come down to you. He had to come and do what you could not do. He came to fetch you, to save you from the power of sin, death, and hell. He came to remove the barrier between you and God. Jesus invites you into life. Jesus invites you into love. He went to the cross and died in your place, took your sin upon himself so that God in his holiness might forgive you and receive you as a child. When you are united with him, you come alive. My friend, Jesus beckons you to turn from your darkness, from a life separated from God, and to turn to your Father in heaven, to receive forgiveness of sin, to enter an intimate relationship with him, to become a child of God, to be reborn by the Spirit of God and receive life, eternal life, to become family. He loves you. Your walk with Jesus begins with a humble asking. Father, receive me. Jesus, save me. Holy Spirit, enter my life. If this is your desire, pray with me. Father, I confess that I need you. In this time of isolation and distancing, I feel separate from you, but I want relationship with you. Thank you for sending Jesus out of love for me before I even gave you a thought. I confess I really walk quite independently of you. Sometimes consciously, at other times unconsciously, I reject your love. I've been trying to make life work by myself. Jesus, thank you for identifying with me in my struggle. Thank you for going to the cross and taking my sinfulness, rebellion, selfishness, and self-centeredness upon yourself. Jesus, I repent. I turn away from my independent ways and turn to you for forgiveness. I acknowledge I need to change my way of thinking, my way of life. I need help. Thank you for opening the way to relationship with you. I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior and leader. I receive the Holy Spirit. I'm so excited to join your family. 
Restore me. Strengthen me. Lead me forward from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I would really encourage you to talk to a friend who follows Jesus. Or you can click that digital hand, that button on your screen, I commit myself to Jesus. And we would love to get in contact with you and encourage you on your journey. I'm going to leave all of us with a few questions for reflection, just to apply the message today to your own life. Merry Christmas to all of you.